0: I don't know about you, but I, I've actually had a good time learning some of the stories that go behind some of the songs that we sing. And over the next few weeks, we'll be doing the same thing as we consider some of the songs. But we're not preaching these songs. What we're doing is we're trying to bring the, the message that's really behind those songs from Scripture and share it with you. Because a lot of times we, we know the songs, we like the songs, we sing the songs. But we never really get the impact of those songs in our lives. And so we'd like to change that. We'd like to shift that a little bit this morning. Before preparing this message and and before focusing on this song, and I'll tell you up front what it is. It's Holy, 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 which is not a surprise because it's on the front of your handout. So it's not like, whoo, it's a big reveal. Um, I discovered a little something about the guy who wrote it. His name was Reginald Heber. Uh, He evidently was a brilliant man. He was a renowned poet, even at a very young age, writing poetry. He was well-known. His father was a fairly well-off landowner. Uh, He was an Anglican priest. And Reginald grew up to also go into his father's footsteps and become a priest. And in fact, pastored the same church that his father had pastored for 15 years. Now, while he was at this church, Reginald Heber wrote hymns he wrote songs don't count on me to do that but this was he had that kind of poetic thing going on and so he began to to write hymns now because he was part of the anglican church whenever you write a hymn like that before you can just sing it you had to get permission to sing it you had to go and and check it out with higher ups and say okay can we sing this song and so he wrote a song for trinity sunday called holy 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 and he sh- and you've, most of you heard that song, you know, you're familiar with it. Okay, he presented it to the, those who were above him, and they said, you cannot sing that song. They, they wouldn't permit him to sing it, and they gave him two reasons. Uh, the first reason is, it's too modern. This song is too modern, you can't <laughs> sing this song. And the second reason is, it's too evangelical. We're a little scared that people might get excited when they hear this song and so we, we, we're not going to let you sing this song. And so it went unsung. A little later, a, a guy came along and wrote the tune that we now have for it. The tune is Nicaea, and he wrote that song and put those two together, and, and we have an opportunity to sing that song today. It's an incredible song. Now, here's something else I found out about Reginald Heber that I didn't know and, and actually was kind of exciting. He had a real passion, a real heart for missions, and he especially had a passionate heart for the nation of India and the lost people who were in India. And when an opportunity came for him to become the bishop of Calcutta and actually go to India and to serve there, he accepted that call. And he was training new people. He was preaching the gospel. They were starting churches. Everything was going well in India, but it only lasted for a short short time, three years. That That was the max time he was there, three years, and he died likely of a stroke as he was serving there in India. Now, some of you go, oh, I knew that song. Yeah, that's a familiar story to me. I, I, yeah, my parents told me that. No, I mean, we really don't know these things about these guys who, and ladies who write these songs that we sing. But here is a man who had a passion for God, who had a passion for his kingdom, who had a passion for people to come to know Jesus Christ as savior and lord it was this guy who wrote the words to the song that we sing holy 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 not just once not just twice three times what does this word holy mean its basic meaning is to be set apart but when it it is used in reference to god it's speaking of his transcendence his aboveness his otherness from us There is no one like God. He is far above us, far beyond us, infinitely so. In fact, Isaiah said in Isaiah 55, uh, in, in speaking for God, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God's holiness, I'm assuming that Reginald Heber and others like him took the time to contemplate the great holiness of God as they read through the scriptures, as they they looked in Isaiah chapter 6 and read there that the seraphim declared holy, holy, holy as he looked in Revelation 4 and and saw the the creatures around the throne, the angelic beings around the throne saying holy, 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 that struck home with him, and he penned these words that we sing. But we need to understand what it is we sing. When we talk about a holy God, a holy, holy, holy God, who is it that we're talking about? What are we talking about? I want to give you two phrases, and they sound sound alike, but they're different. Here's what I want to tell you about God. He is holy other, but he is not holy other." That sounds like a contradiction, right? But look at the words. He is holy other, but he is not holy other." What, uh, that sounds confusing. What do we mean by that? We've already said that God is transcendent. There's no one like Him. He is far above us, far beyond us. There's no one in the same zip code as God. He is unique completely he is alone in that uniqueness and yet he is not holy other w-h-o-l-l-y he is not holy other because he created us in his image and likeness you understand what i'm saying here he is holy other that is there's no one like him and that's why i really have a tough time with people who talk about god that he's the man upstairs or the big guy Because that's not an acknowledgement of his holiness, of his otherness, that he is holy, H O L Y, holy other. But since we are created in his image, we have a connection with him that he has initiated and placed within us. When we think of God and we think of him as holy, H O L Y, then what we have come to understand is that. God has worth in and of himself. Most of the time, things have worth by their connection with something else. That's right. I am worth more because Nancy married me. Okay, that's it. By my connection with her, that elevates my worth. That upgraded me. Many times, we give something worth because it's connected. For instance, if you go buy a car, there are certain brands of cars that we connect with someone who is, who is successful and influential and wealthy, and therefore if we own one of those cars, we, we kind of get an upgrade by association. But God needs no upgrade by association. There is no higher to go than God. In and of himself, he has worth and value and weight. We have our worth and value and weight because we're made in his image, because we have an association with him, so you, but we are connected with him, so you see, he is holy other, H O L Y, but he's not holy other, he's not apart from us, he's not distant, he's not away off there somewhere. The Bible even tells us God is near, and so we need to grasp these two concepts as we think about the holiness of God. Something we also want to note is, both in Isaiah 6 and in Revelation 4, and what we just sang, we sang holy not once, not twice, but three times, a threefold repetition. And we already know that in Scripture, it's there to hammer something home. And we, we know that because Jesus would say, truly, truly, or verily, verily, I say to you, And what he was saying is, hey, pay attention. This is important. I'm repeating it twice. I don't want you to miss it. I don't want you to get it. So I'm prefacing it so that you get it. It's kind of interesting. I went back and looked at the times that there's a threefold repetition. And there are probably more of those than you might imagine in Scripture. But it's always there to express an intensity an importance And so when we sing holy, 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 the question is, do we sing those words with intensity? Because I can assure you this, when the angelic beings gather around the throne and they sing holy, 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 there is a weight and intensity and importance and urgency about those words that they sing. We sing them and they say, oh, they're lovely. It's a nice tune. What about the words? And what about the God to whom those words are directed? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. This morning, I want you to listen as the prophet Isaiah peels back the curtain for us. Every once in a while, men and women in Scripture, God did this for them. He kind of opened the curtain let them see what was there behind the curtain what was going on in the spiritual realm and we're going to see that in Isaiah chapter 6 if you have your bibles I invite you to open there if you don't have your bibles it's printed in the handout for you we'll also have it up on the screen but we want to hear these words that God speaks to us today Isaiah chapter 6 we'll begin reading in verse verse 1 it says In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, and the foundations of the threshold shook, and the voice of him who called, and the house was, at, the vo- at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke, and I said, "Woe is me, clean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Father God, I pray that you'd help us to hear these words anew and afresh. That you would speak to us through your word and by your spirit. And that in so doing, we might have a clearer view of who you are and who we can be through Jesus Christ. For we pray it in his name. Amen. Unfortunately, we have a tendency... To tame God. To kind of bring him down to size. Put him on our level. We're a lot more comfortable with a God who's on our level. Who's down at our size. We want a God, of course, who's powerful enough to hear us when we're in trouble, right? And to come to our rescue. We want a God who is that powerful. Who can do things miraculously on our behalf and make things happen that wouldn't happen otherwise but do we want a god do we want a god who is so powerful who is so awesome who is so glorious that in his presence we are absolutely overwhelmed it drives us to our knees our faces flat on the ground in the presence of a holy God. You see, when we have that kind of understanding of who God is, it begins to disrupt our lives. It begins to change who we are and how we respond to other people and how we respond to him. And we do him, him and ourselves and, and we do the world a huge injustice when we neuter God when we make him less than he is when we make God out to be some kind of kindly uncle who never scolds us always pats us on the head and always has a quarter he can give us when we make God into that we rob God we rob ourselves and we rob the world This is not the God we met in this passage of scripture this morning. He's not a kindly uncle, a a grandfather who sits in his recliner smoking his cigar. He is truly so awesome that we have to redefine the word awesome. He is that kind of God. The passage occurred... We kind of have the, the dating of the passage. Isaiah says he was in the temple in the year that King Uzziah died. Now, for us, a lot of times we kind of read over that and we go, well, that's an odd name. I'd never name my kid that. So we kind of read over it. We don't pay it much attention. But what we don't know about King Uzziah is that King Uzziah came to the throne as a teenager. And he reigned on the throne for 52 years. Now, folks, this is unheard of. This longevity, this stability, and he started out as being a really good king. He messed up a good bit, but he brought stability and prosperity, and and things were, were pretty good under King Uzziah. It was in the year that he died. Imagine that. For 52 years, you've had the same king. People have been born and people have died. Generations have come and generations have gone. And here it is, King Uzziah is still on the throne. He is our source of stability. We look to him, we recognize him, we honor him, we acknowledge him because he makes things the way they ought to be. And now he's dead. And Isaiah, who was in the royal family, is in the temple. And in that year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah had the opportunity to speak behind the curtain. God broke in. Heaven broke in into the temple. And Isaiah was there. And Isaiah says, listen, let me tell you what I experienced. Let me tell you what happened to me when I was in the temple on that day. I saw the Lord. That in and of itself is breathtaking. I saw the Lord. The Lord was not to be seen, and he certainly wasn't to be seen that up close and that personal. You remember we have instances as God appeared, sometimes in a theophany, that means he would appear in something else, like the burning bush, and God would speak through the burning bush, or God would come and he would speak through an angel. But Isaiah says, no, I I had this... God tore open heaven to show me what was going on. I saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up. In ancient times, if you wanted, to, you wanted majesty and you wanted glory and you wanted people to recognize how important you are, when you walked in and up, he says, listen, I saw the Lord and he was high and lifted up. And the train of his robe, that is the, the robe behind him, this also is a emblematic of of someone who is powerful and successful and, and, and rules, and that is that they'd have a train on their um, you know, we're, we're getting ready, and Jackie would be looking for wedding dresses, but I, I, I still remember, some of you remember, uh, Princess Diana's wedding. Some of you remember that. And if you, if you don't, go back and take a look at it. She came down that church aisle. Her train was like 50 feet long. I mean, it was huge. It's just way back there. And that's what we're talking about here. This represents the power and the majesty of the one who wears the robe. The train of his robe was so much that it filled the temple. Again, he is holy other. There's no one like this God. And he says, and I saw the seraphim. These are angelic beings. Now, when you hang around in the presence of God's glory, you shine too. And that should be a message for us today. We should be people who shine because we've been in the presence of God. But these seraphim, they just glowed. They just shined. And it says that these seraphim, these angelic beings, they're not how we picture angels, right? Little cherubs with wings and harps and stuff like that. No, these things had six wings. And it says there were two of them. They flew. That kind of makes sense. That's what we do with wings, right? But with two, they covered their faces. Why would they cover their faces? They would cover their faces because they could not behold God was so glorious in His presence that they had to shield themselves. Now these are angelic beings created to be in the presence of God, and yet they had to shield their faces from the very glory of God. It was so intense. And with two, they covered their feet. Why? Because the feet represent that part of us that touches the floor, that gets contaminated, that gets dirty, and no contamination allowed in the presence of God. They were protecting their feet so that they could not become contaminated and go before a holy God. So this is an intense scene that Isaiah is coming into, and it says that these creatures, these seraphim, they declared. Now, the word is literally said. We don't know exactly what that means. Does it mean, we we often say they sang. The word is said, but we also need to recognize that music in our time is not like music in their time, and so oftentimes they would have more of a what we would consider kind of a chant kind of thing going on, it would be rhythmic talking. This is the early version of hip-hop. You didn't know the seraphim were into hip-hop, did you? Okay, they're talking it out. If, if you go, what's hip-hop? Let me go back, let me wind it back. This is the early version of Johnny. This is, this is what we've got here. Um, the seraphim, and they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. That is the Lord of heavenly armies. So again, this is is no small-time king we're talking about. This is the Lord of heaven. And it says in their voices, when they spoke, their voices shook the thresholds. There was an earthquake inside the temple just with their speaking. And the place was filled with smoke. And Isaiah, he didn't step back and stick his thumbs up and go, That's quite a show, big guy. No. His words were, woe is me. And I I don't think he said that in kind of an offhand, casual way. R.C. Sproul, as he studied this scripture, it's his contention, and I'd have to agree that it would have to be based on what's happening here, that those words, woe is me, were spoken more like a primordial scream in the presence of a holy God. Woe. What does that word mean? We've already encountered holy. Here we encounter woe. What does that mean? It is a deep, heart-rending remorse or regret. This is not just, oh, I feel bad today. This is, this is deep. This, is, this rips at, at the, the, our hearts. That our grief and our remorse is is so deep. And it also expresses the plight of a person who's under the judgment of God. Both of these are true in the life of Isaiah. He he is sensing a deep remorse, a deep regret that that penetrates to the depth of his heart. And he senses his guilt in the presence of a holy God. Now, you go, well, wait a minute, this is Isaiah. This is a, a good guy. I would expect this if this was some street thug who had walked in and happened to see this, that he'd feel this way in the presence of a living God. But as he came in, the presence of perfect holiness and Isaiah's own humanity was enough to crush him. Isaiah 64, 6 sums it up this way. We have all become like one who is unclean. And all our, look at this, all our righteous deeds are like polluted garments. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Isaiah came to understand full from Jesus on our best day. On our best day. All of our righteous acts compared to the holiness of God are like filthy rags and so he can only say woe is me for I'm lost it's interesting that word lost is translated a, a couple of different ways your your bible may have a different translation and I think honestly we need to hear them all to get the full implication of what it means and so let me share with you some of the ways this has been translated for I am lost I am ruined I am undone. I am destroyed. I am unraveled. I'm coming apart. I am doomed. This is what he means. This is what happens when when Isaiah, a, a good man, comes into the presence of a holy God. He looks and he says, I am doomed because I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And you go, well, Isaiah's not some foul-mouthed, trash-talking guy. You might be in a back alley somewhere. He's respected. He's renowned. And we see in a moment that God has a call on his life. And yet, he says, listen, I- I've come to understand that every, every bit of gossip I've shared every time that I have spoken a careless or crass word, every time I've torn down instead of build up, every time I've spoken about God even, because I didn't understand who He was, I recognize that my mouth is unclean. I remember there was a, uh, an incident that happened. I was probably 10, 11 years old. And um, I said something I shouldn't say. None of you have ever done that. You probably can't identify. And I remember distinctly to this day, my mother took me into the bathroom and she grabbed the soap. Now, this is not ivory. This is not dove. This is Irish spring. And she literally washed my mouth out with Irish spring soap for what I had said. But here's the thing. All that did would make my mouth soapy. It didn't out. Isaiah had a problem. And it didn't matter how much ivory soap he would chew on. He had a problem. In the presence of a holy God, woe is me. I'm doomed. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. There was nowhere for him to run. There was nowhere for him to hide. And Isaiah truly felt that here in the presence of a holy God, I am going to turn to dust and be blown away. Now, we read this and we go, man, that's Old Testament stuff. That's pretty potent. But I want to share with you a reality. This is a reality for all of us, whether we are Christians or non-Christians, whether we've been a believer for a long time or we're a brand new believer. This is true. We need to hear this this morning. Here is the reality. Do not miss this. God has not changed. God has not changed. There is not a God of the Old Testament who is all fire and judgment and a God of the New Testament who is all love and compassion. There is one God. That's it. As a matter of fact, we read in the New Testament that the same God that that Isaiah spoke of here in in Isaiah chapter 6, we read uh, in Hebrews chapter 12 where it says, Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Okay, now we read that and we go, oh, well, he can't mean that. He means exactly that. He means that the the God who loves us so much, the God who's compassionate and forgiving and and shows grace and mercy and, and he pours all this out on us. This same God, do not forget that He is a consuming fire. He is holy, holy, holy. And what we've done in the church in America and too many other places, we've in our attempt to make God more accessible, what we've done is made Him a mere accessory. Worship has become for us all about us. Did I like the songs we sang this morning? Was the temperature in the worship center good for me? Were the seats comfortable enough? Was the sermon too long or was the sermon not long enough? And it's become all about me and the center of my worship is me and am I happy here? And you know what? If the preacher goes too long, I hear my favorite song. I hadn't heard it in a month. I'm going to go find another church. Because it's all about me and what I want and what I need and what, what, I, what, what makes me happy. We enter, we shake hands, we sit down, we stand up, we sing songs, we take notes. But do we encounter God? Do we perceive Him? in his majesty and his glory. When we come to worship, do our our souls ever ache? Because the presence of a holy God has revealed our secret sin, and we know we can't cover it up. We know we can't have it. We know we have to get rid of it to be in the presence of god we've got to move it out of the way we've got to confess it we've got to repent we've got to turn from it but oh how we want to cover it up but there is nowhere to run there is nowhere to hide in the presence of a holy god when we sing the songs that we sing are they simply words adrift in a nice tune or is it something we sing from the heart? We sing with intensity as we join with the angels, as we join with the heavenly creatures, and we join with all, all creation in singing a song that, listen, it, this song has been sung before. Isaiah 6 has it. This song will be sung again. Revelation 4 has it. Now, some of the words to the, to the verses are different. But the chorus is the same. Holy, holy, holy. Do you realize that what you are doing here when you sing the song, holy, 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 you are joining with the angels in their song. You're singing the song of heaven. And here's the cool thing is, the angels never tire of singing about God's holiness. And God never tires of hearing it. I woke up this morning And I ask God, would you help me once again to understand just how holy you are? Not so that I can be afraid of you. Not so that I can go cower in a corner somewhere. Not so that I can hide under my bed. But can you show me your glory? Can you show up in your majesty so that my life, is exposed. Anything that hinders my relationship with you, God, that it could be moved out, moved away, shed, put aside, left behind me so that I can stand in your presence rather than duck and cover. God, make it so. And we don't know how often Isaiah entered the temple. Perhaps for him, worship had become more of a routine, going through the motions. Perhaps he has days like that. We have days like that where, you know, hey, I'm here. And that's the best we can say. I'm here. I'm going through the motions. Whatever the circumstances, God chose that moment in Isaiah's life, that moment in the life of the nation of Israel to break in and to shake things up. And Isaiah saw God bigger than he had ever imagined he could be. And when he saw God like that, he also saw his own unworthiness and his own uncleanness. Now, listen, if we just left it here and we didn't read the next couple of verses, we could go away with our chins dragging the floor because how in the world can we stand in the presence of a God like that? Look in verses 6 and 7. It says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he'd taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Isaiah saw that God was completely holy, completely righteous, and that he was not. And that in the presence of this holy God, he was destined only for doom. That was it. But God acted to bring cleansing to Isaiah. God acted to bring cleansing to Isaiah. Folks, that is the story of the gospel. We are all sinners and we all fall short of the glory of God, but God acted to bring cleansing. How did God act? Not by bringing a coal off the temple altar and touching our lips he acted by sending his son jesus christ the perfect lamb of god holy unblemished to come and not just live with us and not just teach us but to come and to die for our sins to be buried in a borrowed tomb and to rise again on the third day opening the way for us to have life and this is what the bible says about what god has done for us in jesus christ second corinthians 5 for our sake. sin. Who is that? Jesus. Jesus who had no sin in him. To be sin. Jesus, Jesus took our sins. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you see this great exchange that is taking place? God takes our sin away. But he doesn't leave a void. He doesn't leave a vacuum. He instead gives us the righteousness of Christ. He makes us clean so that we can come into His presence. I hope and I pray that we will never sing holy, holy, holy again the same way. Recognizing not only the greatness and majesty of our God, recognizing not only our own human frailty and sin, but recognizing that God acted in Jesus Christ to remove our sin to make us righteous in him so that we could have a relationship with him. In a moment, we're going to sing that song in its entirety. That's going to be our invitation song, a chance for you to respond as the Lord leads. I hope and pray that you will allow the words to sink deeply into your heart and your soul and that God would open your eyes so that you might have a glimpse of his glory. If you're If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit has brought conviction to your heart that you need him more than you need anything else then I want to give you an opportunity to come to come and exchange your sin for Christ's righteousness to come to Jesus and to find cleansing and forgiveness and a new life. If you're already a believer but maybe you've been convinced today that your view of God is way too small. You've, you've had a God that you could manage, a God that you could carry in your pocket. But he's not God. He's not the, the Lord of heaven, the, 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 the Lord of heavenly armies. And today, you want to you trade up. I'm no longer satisfied to have a small God. I want the true God of heaven. And I want to serve him. If you need to make that recommitment this morning, then now is your time. If there are some of you here this morning who maybe you're believers, but you don't have a church home. And God's leading you here. He wants you in a place that that preaches God's holiness and God's grace. Who didn't pick one side or the other, but gives you the whole picture. And you believe this is where God wants you, then I invite you to come. Whatever it is, the Lord leads you to do this. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you in Jesus' name. We thank you that you are a holy God, because we don't need anything less. And we pray, Lord, that you'd open our eyes to see your holiness. And Lord, as we see that holiness and we see our own sin, Lord, we thank you that in Jesus Christ, we can be forgiven and cleansed. And Lord, I pray for those who right now the Holy Spirit is dealing with their hearts that they need this cleansing. They need this new start. Lord, that you would draw them to yourself. Lord, I pray for those who just need to to recommit themselves to you. their, Their view of you has just become too small through the years. And they're no longer content to live like that. Lord, I pray today could be a day of decision for them. For those who need a church family, a place to belong. Lord, if this is it, if this is where you're leading them, let them come. Whatever it is, Lord, that you call us to do, we are ready to respond even at this moment.